This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. I want to thank our sponsors, Mickey Fins, Marlboro PD Electric, Carolina Bank, and Pepsi of Florence. Without their financial support, none of this would be none of this would be possible. I know a lot of you are probably trying to convince them to not financially support this, so none of it will be um, possible. But we appreciate more than you know of finding us on the internet, and um, and here we go. The only business in Washington is influence. I mean, it really and truly is. I mean, you're not making widgets. I mean, I understand you got restaurants and shopping malls to service the people that 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 live there. But in essence, some of the business of Washington is influence. Who has it? Who needs it? Who can help you get it? And and you know, Tucker was talking about living in the Georgetown D.C. area for thirty years. It, it, there, there's not a widget plan on every corner. That there's there's not a um a law firm doing criminal litigation in every corner. The majority of law firms on K Street are doing what? Trying to gain influence. I mean, somebody comes to, Dave sure. Baker comes to uh, a law firm on K Street and says, hey, you know, I need to make sure these, no, he doesn't go there and say the widgets are, are not as good as the widgets in, in California. I mean, it's the, it's the epicenter of political influence. And when you go there, you're seeking political influence. I mean, unless you're visiting the Smithsonian, you know, or, or walking by the Jefferson Memorial. I understand uh, the tourist sightseeing element of that. But the business of Washington, it's all about influence. And, you know, Devin Archer and Tucker Carlson were sitting down. And, you know, some of the, uh, I, I mean, Devin Archer was a bit coy. And and uh, I don't want to say misleading, but he was very sarcastic in the way he um, explain things to Tucker. I don't know if you saw that or not, but no. he sat down with um with Tucker for fifteen or eighteen minutes, and he and he basically said, you know, I'm not going to say what we were doing, but it's pretty obvious what we were doing. I mean, I'm not going, I'm not just full throttled say, you know, we were there trying to gain influence over, and he was in the um I think the private uh, hedge funds, private what what uh venture capital, uh, uh private capital that sort of um. I mean, there, there's no business in Washington. I mean, it's not like you're investing in an asphalt plant. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not investing in a, in a farm. I mean, you're, you're there seeking influence. And who has the opportunity to provide the most influence is who gets paid the most money. I mean, there, there's certain reputations there. So, um, so anybody making substantial money in Washington are not making it running a better farm, running a better manufacturing plant. You know, doing a better job at, um, at at serving food. I mean, it's all about you know who has the influence, who needs the influence, and who gets paid to connect those those two people together. And Devin Archer and Hunter Biden obviously had Rosemont Seneca, which was this company they created, and um, and Joe Biden was there. I mean, he was their north star. He was their provider of the high level of influence. I mean, it doesn't get much higher than. The vice president. I mean, it gets one place higher than that. That would be uh, the presidency. But um, but but if you're you know second man in charge, so to speak, if you're one heartbeat away from the presidency, you can provide enormous value, especially when you have been as entrenched as Joe Biden has been in in Washington. And um, I mean that that we'll get back to that story. And and the only reason I am giving a full throttled defense and explanation of Trump is nobody else is going to do it. I mean, it's going to be Fox News somewhat and conservative talk radio. 
I mean, that's it. I mean, there's nobody else going to tell you the other side of the story. I mean, with all due respect to John Decker, I mean, Decker made his mind up. I mean, he sounded like a prosecutor. I mean, he didn't sound like a White House correspondent. He sounded like a prosecutor. Uh, and, and he got a little bit edgy with me when I pushed back on some of these things that Turley and, and Andy McCarthy have said. And, and I still think a central issue is, does Donald Trump believe he won the election? If Trump wins the, wins the election, or if he thinks he won the election, he has the right to uh, redress his grievances and to express himself. And, I mean, if you think you won the election and, and there's some, you know, um, some abstractness or inexactness in a law, you, you try to take advantage of it. I mean, that's kind of redressing your grievances with your government. And I just believe his best strategy. I'm not a lawyer. Be careful when, when I try to pretend or play one on the radio. But I still believe that the, the, the most solid foundation Trump has is to argue that I believe the election was stolen. I can easily say that. I mean, I have every right to say that. And the reason I was leaning on legislators, leaning on electors, you know, trying to interpret the law a certain way is because I was redressing my grievances to my government. I think, I mean, once again, I'm not a lawyer, and I wish a lawyer would call in to help me understand, but, but if I were Trump's lawyer, legal team, I would try to figure out a way to get the court to dismiss this case. They're, they're going to deny that. I mean, there's no way that judge in, in D.C. is going to allow the dismissing of the case. And I don't know what grounds you can dismiss. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you have to have happen to ask a court to dismiss a case, but I would try to get real creative, and I would, I would ask the judge to dismiss the case. And I guess what I'm asking, Rev, or what I'm saying is, or implying, based on you know my interpretation of the First Amendment, based on my belief that the election was stolen, based on my right to redress you know, my grievance with my government, I'm asking the court to dismiss the case on those grounds. The judge says, hell no, we're not doing that. Um, and then, then the appellate court comes in in some way, shape, or form, and it eventually gets to the Supreme Court. Um, the, the better idea I've had for Trump is I would probably figure out a way. Remember Drew McKissick said that this cost a lot of money? I mean, the money you could spend on running a campaign, you're having to spend to defend yourself in a court of law. I mean, it's going to be tens of millions of dollars to work this through the process. I mean, just this one. I mean, imagine there are two others and a fourth on its way in the state of Georgia. I have no idea how much money will be spent um, in defending Donald Trump or prosecuting, but that's taxpayer dollars. I mean, they don't care. They could, um, I don't know how much money Trump's got. He ain't got as much as the government. I'll assure you of that. But I've got this crazy idea that Trump needs to go see Elon Musk because Musk is one of these free speech absolutists. And if Trump can convince Musk that this is an issue of free speech, what is 50 or $100 million to Elon Musk? I mean, if the, I mean it depends on what Tesla and SpaceX stock is uh, and now Twitter stock. But what, in all honesty, well, Twitter's a private company. What is, you know, $100 million? And, and I get that Musk probably doesn't care much for Trump's personality or his, his bombast, his narcissism. But if this is a, if you can convince Musk that this is a case about free speech, and an infringement upon uh, that right to free speech and redressing your grievances with your government, Musk writes a check for $100 million and you've got the legal bills paid for, taken care of. Um, I mean, that doesn't endear Musk to the American way. I mean, it, the, as much as we love the Second Amendment, I mean, conservative Republicans get, get very, very, very compassionate about the Second or, or passionate about um, the Second Amendment. 
don't they feel equally as passionate about a right to say what you believe to be true, express yourself? Um, I mean, we're politicizing, we're politicizing, not politicizing, we're criminalizing, you know, uh, what, what they would perceive as misinformation, um, who gets to decide. Remember the Biden administration, one of the misinformation czar, someone to basically say, you know, here's what gets to, to, to here's what we allow to have a debate about, and here's some things we don't allow a, a debate to take place. I just think that's, and once again, I'm a high school, excuse me, a college dropout from a town with no stoplight. Take what I say uh, for what it's worth, but that would be my angle. Uh, I think he has a chance in Miami, Rev, because I think there's some Colombian-American um, that probably had family, or Cuban-American, Cuban-American that probably had family flee uh, from Castro's you know, um, dominance of the way they live their lives and they'll perceive the government as overreaching uh, during some of that trial. But to believe that Trump's going to get a fair shake in a city he lost 95 to 5 with an African-American female. I mean, when you think about it, and I'm not, I'm not trying to insult uh, one race of person or, or one, um, one uh, sex. I, I'm not. I mean, I, I would never do that. Um, but, but the reality is D.C., the, the, the person least likely to be sympathetic to Trump is an African-American from Washington, D.C. Can we agree to that? I mean, the statistics clearly show that. Trump does not get many African-American female votes. He didn't get many votes from D.C., so he drew a, an African-American female judge from Washington, D.C. That's about as bad a draw as you can get. I mean, that would be like the Braves and the Dodgers play in a playoff series and every game played in, in Dodger Stadium and they, you know, uh, uh, have three consecutive rainouts to let the Dodger starting pitcher pitch uh, every single game. The odds are just going to be fundamentally stacked against against Trump, but we shall see um, how that plays itself out. I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need, from straightforward accounts to complex finances. They're prepared to help you reach your financial goals. Carolina Bank, banking on tradition. Since 1936, member FDIC, Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading food and beverage companies. Pepsi of Florence also serve brands from other great companies such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including williams Bryce and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro Pete Electric Co-op, if you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro Pete Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center. Uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at mpdcoop or pdec.com. <laughs>